Paint the fucking world. 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 Welcome to Paint the Fucking World podcast, a podcast for artists by artists. That is Nolan, and I am Visual Assault, and we are joined with Annie from Annie Makes Art. Annie, how are you this evening? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. It's been a busy day. A lot of a lot of shipping I had to get out and working on my, my zine for next month, but it's been good. I, I get to work on Monday and Tuesday all day, which is great. I'm not full-time both like- days. No one ever has a clear understanding of how much being a professional artist means you spend your life at the post office. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. much shipping. Yeah, I, I, I shipped out like 14 pieces today, I think. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a busy day. I, luckily, I had everything pre-packaged. So when I got my zines in today, I was able to just throw them in, seal them up, and, and get them out the door which made things a lot easier. I had all the packaging ready for him. So, um, but let's just jump right into this and uh, get this going. Uh, we recently connected on TikTok, uh, which is funny because my wife saw your video and I heard the audio from the front room and she was watching your video about your YouTube channel. And we're going to get into that, but I, I want to talk about your art and who you are as an artist a little bit before we get into what you're trying to accomplish with your YouTube channel. Um, you know, I, I went and I kind of, I checked out your art cause you had been following me, but I, uh, things get lost in translation sometime and I hadn't followed you back. So I followed you back and your work is absolutely beautiful. And yeah, thank you. I, I really like, I was looking through there. And I'm like, wow, this is really amazing work. And I, I could sit here and say how beautiful it is, but I'd like to get like your impression on what, like your style and, and kind of how you work and things like that. So if you can kind of explain to the people listening, like what, how would you classify your style and, and what you do? So there's kind of this uh, common school of thought that I often hear among artists that you have to have this one specific style or medium or thing that you do in your art. And that always drives me crazy, not only because I think it sounds like a boring way to be forced to live if that's not your natural inclination, um, but also because it's never been my experience. I sometimes struggle to describe myself as an artist or my work to other people because every day can look completely different from the day before. Um, I went to school for illustration with a focus on doing children's book illustrations. So sometimes my work looks very kind of child appropriate and sweet and illustration-y. And then other times it is like more on the fine art side and um, like nude portraiture and things like that. And then other times it's more graphic designy. And then sometimes I just go way off in the weeds and I'm trying to like make something out of sculptural elements or embroidery. Um, so I know that's, I didn't really answer your question, but I just no, am I someone mean... who compulsively makes, I like creating full stop. No, I could definitely relate to that. I get that a lot. I, f- I yeah. feel like you did answer the question. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, I, you know, I went to art school as well. And, you know, in when you go to school, they, they kind of, you got to pick a medium. You, you have to experience it all, but you have to pick a, a medium that you prefer to work in. Like when I initially, when I wanted to be photography, 
but I, I fell in love with painting. So that's where I kind of focused, but I do everything. Like I don't limit myself and, and I don't like to limit myself. And I know like a lot of, I don't know if you've ever shown in a gallery or not, but they like to have like a real niche kind of corner of like your, your work and don't branch out of that because that might not be sellable in their eyes. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting. Like, like, like you said, that like you don't want to back yourself in a corner and only want to do thing one thing you want to try it all, which is great. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely think you answered the question really well, actually. I think it was great. Thank you. And to be clear, I understand why people think that's a thing. I understand why for a gallery or for a client, it's comforting to kind of know what they can expect from you. And, yeah. and if something sees, if somebody sees something they like in your work, being able to get something along those lines. But I think that that has gotten so blown out of proportion that I know a lot of times, you know, newer artists will be like, can you give me advice on how to find my style or how to narrow down which of these things I should be doing? And it's like, just do all of it. The, the, the more you experiment, I think the more you find your voice and your style. Absolutely. I feel like in the last year and a half, when I made the transition to become a full-time artist, my style and my voice has changed. I don't know, every three or four months. Like it's, it's crazy. Uh, lately I've been really focused on putting out my zines. So I've done a lot of illustrative type work that I, and, and drawing, but I've also been trying to do painting along the way. And I, I'm all over the place when it comes to, what I'm working on at one time. And and I feel like not, like I said, not backing yourself in a corner as an artist, you don't want to feel stifled and you don't want to lose your creative edge. So having multiple different mediums that you can jump from really is beneficial to be like, okay, well, I'm kind of getting burnt out or I'm feeling like I'm at a, at a standstill here. Let's go over and, you know, let's jump over into this illustrative or or digital work or whatnot or hey i feel like i'm gonna crochet for the next three or four days or whatever your your thing is and it kind of it it breaks up the monotony sometimes because as much as we love to create it can get monotonous when you're, you're creating things in the same style and you're not really branching out and doing different things so yeah i, I definitely I, I i think for any artist trying it all is always a good thing Absolutely. And then you get that fun sensation where it's kind of like when you get back from vacation and suddenly you like your house more, you can like leave a medium that you're really enjoying and go do something completely crazy. And then you come back, you're like, ah, oil paint, I missed you. <laughs> it feels so right. good to be here again. I don't feel like I've ever felt that way about oil paint. Uh, <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> I've tried it, not for me. Uh, I'd well, like I to pick it up again from back about the love of my life. Oh, so rude. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I know there's the, the drying process can be so long for me. Like that's what I'm like, uh, can't deal with it. I, I produce quick and, you know, I had a commission that I, I finished in three days and it's one of my favorite pieces. If I'd have done that oil paint, I would have had to wait like way longer than I would have wanted to. I mean, I could have used linseed oil and expedited that, but I'm, I don't like the shine that linseed oil provides. I like very matte finish and I work with a lot of spray paint in my own personal work. So um, I, get that. I will say in defense of oil, I am an insanely fast painter. 
which is not necessarily a brag. Sometimes it's a bad thing, but like most of my like figurative oil works are done in one sitting. It's like a single session. Oh wow! And um, you can work fast in oils. It's just a different approach. But I yeah. just I just have to put in my word of defense for my boo oils. I'm just saying. sure, sure. I didn't. I, I, that's really interesting. Like. Um, I, I'm so impatient myself as well with the paint. Like, I actually have a heat gun and it's like usually my second thing. If I, if it's not a paintbrush, it's the heat gun, you know, just because I want it to dry because I layer my stuff and I layer, layer, I do shapes and whatnot and other abstract crap. But like the, I just, that heat gun man makes everything so much so quicker, but yeah, I didn't know you could do that with, that's pretty cool. Well, I, I'm cheap, so I don't use a heat gun. When I'm doing acrylic, I use a hairdryer, but I do the same thing where I'm like, we got to keep rolling. But with yeah. oils, the process that I use, it's not that I um, falsely dry it in advance. It's that I layer on top of still wet layers. So mm -hmm. it's like blending as it builds. Yeah. Um, so I, the only waiting I have to do is when I'm fully done with the painting, I have to wait for it to be dry to varnish it. But like in the process, I just keep layering on top of still wet layers. I don't know. It's yeah, I oil, it. it's not for everybody. The the nice thing about oil painting is it that the color that you see there, when it fully dries, that's the color it's going to be, yeah. and it's yeah. going to retain that color as long as it's maintained and out of the sun. You're gonna you're gonna have that color for life. Like you can get the like a nice rich deep red, and it's gonna stay that nice deep rich red. Whereas acrylic, it's gonna lose some of that you know, vibrancy when it dries. So the, there, there are definitely perks to oil. Um, I I'd love to try it again. I have some oil paints from when I was in college that are just sitting in my tub of paints. And I'm like, eh, maybe one day. Um, but, you know. Eh. That's actually how I fell in love with oils is when I was in college, I was a huge brat about oils. I don't even know how I decided that I didn't like them. I just made some like I'm a teenager idiot decision that I hated oils and I had a painting class where they were mostly talking about oils and I was like I'm gonna do all the assignments in acrylic but I'd already done the shopping so I had all of the oil supplies and then years later like probably fully a decade out of school I was like well I've still got all these oil paints and they still work so I guess I'll try oil painting and I love it so much wow <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, maybe that'll happen to me I mean I, I'm probably about a decade removed as well, so maybe that'll that kind of uh, epiphany will happen for me as well. Um, now you said you went to school. Where did you go to school at? Was like what school? Uh, I went to Parsons, which uh, is in New York City. So I feel like part of the experience of Parsons is the school itself, and then part of it is just being like a young person in the middle of New York City, which is a chaotic, delightful experience sometimes. Um, and I feel really lucky because. I hear so many horror stories about people who have negative arts education experiences and they're don't get me wrong. It was not like a flawless, perfect experience where nothing went wrong and I got along with every professor or anything like that. But just overall, I feel like I got exposed to so many different ways of thinking, so many different materials. I got to make connections with some really awesome people from around the world that I wouldn't have otherwise met. Um, I really loved it. Yeah, I now is Parsons. I, I'm not familiar with Parsons. Um, is that a, a, a dedicated school for art or is it a blended yeah, school? It's, 
Okay. It's specifically an art and design school. Their big claim to fame is that they were the, the Project Runway School. It's where that started. Uh, like Tim Gunn used to be their fashion department head. Um, so they have a really big fashion design presence, but then they're overall an art and design school. And they're part of the umbrella of the new school, which is like a set of universities together in New York. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, the school I went to um, was a blended, like it was an overall university. And the art department there, you just, I felt like all the art instructors were just stifled. You know, they, they didn't get to create like they want to create. Um, and a lot of schools, you know, the, the instructors they bring in, the body of work that they have and the notoriety they have are very important to the school. And yes, they want them to teach, but they also want that body of work to keep growing because, you know, the more notoriety that artists has, the bigger they can get for like grants and things like that for the school. Whereas this school was like their number one priority was like administrative duties. Second was teaching. And then it was their own portfolio. And like every, I don't know, two years, they would get an entire term off to work on the portfolio. That's not enough for an artist to be able to work on their portfolio. Um, Did you feel that that, affected your educational experience in terms of them being not super like tuned into you or kind of pushing their agenda. I'm curious about how you felt like the actual like in classroom experiment or experience went wrong. So they definitely were very, they pushed the fine art agenda on you. Um, You had a, it was a very small digital uh, department. I've never worked digital, but they are always like, what does it mean? What are you trying to say here? Are you talking about the starving kids in Africa? And I'm like, it's fucking Batman. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's, I, I painted Batman in a very abstract with a palette knife, taking the techniques that I've learned with some of the passion that I have. Like I'm very much a pop artist and that's what I gravitate towards. They want you to paint still lifes. And I did that. But like when it came to like my own body of work, they 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 just didn't get it. They had no clue. They they couldn't see past their own like fine art community. And you know at this time, you know there was no TikTok. Instagram was very much in its infancy, so they didn't realize the power of social media and how that was going to be on the art community and how it can actually take people to a whole new level without having to be. You know, a lot of artists that are in that stratosphere now aren't, they never went to school. They just started painting and they had a passion for it. And now, you know, I think Matt Gondek, he, he never went to, to college to, for art or anything, but he's a very renowned artist and he paints these crazy pop culture based pieces that sell for thousands of dollars. And he, you know, he's a huge artist in, in today's world. They would have looked at his work at that time and been like, what the fuck are you trying to do? So they, 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 go ahead. Sorry. That's part of what I find so strange about these like art school horror stories is I have a hard time understanding the mindset of someone who clearly loves art. They're pursuing it as their profession. And yet, despite having paid a lot of attention to it and like emotionally invested in it, they still are under the misconception that like there's this one 
path. Like, because I know what you're saying about how TikTok and social media and everything has made it really obvious that some things that were looked at as like low brow or not, or not respected the same way have gained more popularity and success. But even before social media, there were pop artists who were doing that kind of thing in like, you know, the 80s and 90s who yeah. were finding success and making money. And the fact that teachers at the time that you were in school were still like, no, that's not a real thing. It's like, what are you doing? I got <laughs> called a sellout by the head of the art department for wow. making prints of my art. For making prints? For making prints. Was it because you were trying to monetize? They didn't like that there was a financial aspect to it? Or what was their... Uh, she, goes, she goes, no true artist makes prints of their work. Ugh. Yeah, so, uh. and like, this is a woman in the faculty art show. She had this huge four by four foot framed piece of artwork that it was leather from the frame all the way down to a cocktail napkin that she drew a stick figure on. That was what she submitted for that faculty art show in the museum on campus. A, a fucking stick figure done with a Sharpie on a cocktail napkin that she probably was like, oh man, that, that, that thing's coming up in a week and here I am ha at a bar having a cocktail. I need to come up with something. So I'm going to draw a stick figure and frame it in this ridiculously gaudy frame and that's going to be my piece of art and i'm just like this is you're ridiculing me for and, and this is what you're doing there's literally but no effort like, in what you're doing there's no grounds to criticize either of you because if her cocktail drawing is her art you can go all you know duchamp ready-made about it and if your sure. art is your art you can go all pop art about it the whole point is that it doesn't matter how much effort you are or not putting in. It doesn't matter if you're making prints or not making prints. Nobody else gets to define what makes you an art, art an artist, or what makes your art art. Oh, yeah. So I feel never... I feel like the the idea of <clears throat> like how you were how you guys were saying, um, not not really a sellout, but I'm trying to find my words right now. Just listening to all you, the, all this stuff at once, and I'm like, ah, okay, so. <laughs> I think the reason why they they feel like the you're a sellout for making prints or pop art isn't real art or they kind of shun away like the Banksies and the the um, the biscuits and stuff like that is because they they want to keep the traditional real art is if you will kind of pristine they want to keep it they want to keep all of the rebels out because this stuff is supposed to be seen as classy you know like real landscapey portrait stuff they don't want all the weird shit that's that you know we kind of like and stuff like that but like you were saying they fail at it anyways because you have like andy warhols that got super famous and a bunch of money from it right you have all of these like like um i mean i know it happened after he passed away but like van gogh stuff that at the time was probably real weird and pop art and, and abstract, but it's like such that it's valued now. So I really think that the industry or the institution want to institutionalize art and give us an idea of what art is supposed to be. When in reality, like you just said earlier, there's no fucking definition. There is no art is art. 
to me, what you were saying, Tyler, is the art isn't about the napkin. I like I love that by the way, and I know you probably like why. I think oh, that is such a rebellious thing to do because you have this little stupid cocktail napkin with a stick figure and this stupid, stupid, huge, gaudy leather made frame is right, leather. All right, first oh, yeah, of all, it was, it was leather inside the, the frame with museum quality glass that went all the way up that left about an inch border on a black field, uh, black background with this cocktail na napkin in there, which honestly, it, it, the concept is, it's interesting and it's, it's different, but I've seen her artwork and she's a, a very, very, very talented painter. And I felt like she really phoned it in compared to like the other uh, artists that were in the other faculty artists, like they put in a lot of time and effort. And at the time she was the head of the art department, they all rotate every like year, the head of the art department rotates to another person in the art department. So yeah, I, it, it pissed me off. She constantly called my artwork kitsch constantly told me she was a sellout or that I was a sellout. And I was like, fuck you. I, I, seriously. You know, and then she goes and does that at the show. Yeah. Wow. And so <laughs> I just I feel like, like this comes back uh, to this, like this not learning from history where like you were giving the example of like Van Gogh, like you can go back as far into art history and there's always this mentality of like, this is art and all that stuff over there is not. And then someone does something over here and finds success and they go, okay, well that's art too. But then the rest of this stuff isn't. And then someone goes, well, I got success. Okay. Well now this is art, but that's all still not art. And it's like the lesson never gets learned. It's like each generation right. is like, but we know what art is and it's not that stuff. And then the next generation is like, yes, it is. It's just, it's, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I own that. I, if you want to call my work lowbrow, I don't think it's a negative term anymore. Um, you know, we just had Josh Nicole from Green Rabbit Press and, um, you know, he was actually, he went to school and, was going to be a professor so he has a lot of that art history knowledge and we talked about that and you know that lowbrow term is very frowned upon but i'm like i'll fucking own that shit like i don't care you can call my work kitsch you can call my my work lowbrow for me it just makes me happy it's what i like to do so i i, I have no problem with it if that's what you want to call it and frown upon it but you know my art works for me more than anybody else you know that's what makes right. me happy so exactly. yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I I didn't have the greatest experience when it came to art school. I found a lot of gatekeeping within the the art school community, which I didn't like. You know, I asked somebody about what kind of paint they were using to to outline something. I was like, man, you know, is that acrylic? He's like, no, it's not acrylic. I'm like, well, what paint did you use? Oh, I can't tell you. <laughs> really? Secret paint. Yeah, and, and come to find out, it was just pinstriping paint. So it was a very, uh, like a fluid mm -hmm. acrylic that, you know, but me at the time, like I'm pretty naive when it came to the different paints because I had just, like I said, I went to school and I wanted to study photography. I got to photography class and all they're teaching is film and to develop, which I love to do, but I'm like, you know, there's not that many places in the United States to even buy film these days. It's a hard medium to stay into and it's getting more and more expensive to, to keep up with. Why are we like pushing this? Like let's learn about aperture and depth of field and all of these things that, you know, we could be learning about, but no, they're, they're wanting to push film really, really hard. And the, 
the whole institution, I think, was very archaic and needed to be updated a little bit and modernized. But, you know, you have all these artists that are in there that are probably in their 70s or older. That You know, they have their way of thinking and the way things are supposed to be. And that's fine. I did learn a lot while I was there. I learned a lot from my fellow students, the, the people that, you know, there's cliques within that, the art schools as well. But I learned a lot when I was there from my fellow students and the friends that I got to meet and, and have stayed in touch with since. So, um, but yeah, the, if given the chance to do it again, I don't know if I would go to art school. Or, and to be, I am, I'm here to uh, push my particular arts education agenda, but I will say the overall theme of all of my art-based mentality is do whatever you want to do, do whatever feels yeah. right. So I've even said repeatedly, even in plugging something that is arts education based, if you feel like the right step in your artistic process at any given point is not seeking arts education, then don't seek arts education. It certainly shouldn't be something that you feel like pressured into or that you're gonna put yourself in like a financially vulnerable position over. Like it's a personal choice. Sure, okay. no, and I feel like, you know, going back, I, we're not gonna get quite into what you're gonna be doing on YouTube, but you know, that YouTube is such a wealth of knowledge. Like I had instructors, literally like when I was taking Photoshop in, in college, they're like, just go to YouTube and find three videos and, and incorporate those videos and make me a project like i could literally not do that and still turn something in and they would not know the difference and i'm like how much are you getting paid to teach this class because all you're doing is coming in and saying go to youtube and, and so like i was like wow this is this is crazy um you know I'm, i learned i've learned so much from youtube like i was i sat last night my son and i were were sitting in bed why he was getting ready to go to sleep and I watched Jazza. I don't know if you know who Jazza is. He's a phenomenal artist when I think you would really enjoy him because he does not stick to one medium. Nope. That dude tries it all. Like everything. You like want each video is like a new thing. And I guess that's like the basis of his channel. He, he is taught, he is art taught. So it's not like it's just, like myself, I'm not, I, I didn't go to art school. So it's not like me, just my experience, but um, he just tries everything. He's not scared. That's, I love him so much because I relate to him in the sense of like experimentation. Um, He's not scared. And he just like, it feels like he don't give a fuck. He's just going to get into it 100% and give it his all. And yeah. so um, I really love watching this stuff, but yeah, I, basically um, he's just he's very experimental. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, he, he he's a really fun artist to watch. Like, not so much on the tutorial side, but if you want to learn about maybe new products or different techniques that you might be able to try, it's very much like what he's doing. But, you know, they 20 minutes, you don't really get to figure out exactly how to do something, but he's showing you this is what you can do with this. And this is a very, very sped up process of what I'm doing. But yeah. yeah, like I was sitting there watching that last night because I'm like, what is he doing today? Or let's go back and look through his catalog and see like, hey, what are different techniques? What are different pens that he's using, mm -hmm. you know? And to me, that's an example of what a good arts education should look like is I, mm -hmm. I don't really like tutorials in the strictest sense necessarily. It's not even really what I tend to do because the idea of like follow each of these steps and at the end we'll both have made the same painting. I don't, sure. that doesn't seem 
cool or fun or helpful for the most part. But instead, just like what you were saying from this creator's content, something that goes, hey, did you know that this material exists? Now you do. Right. Yeah. Or um, you're watching and you go, oh, I've used that before, but I've never done it that way. Or I've never thought to incorporate this other element. I don't feel like arts education should be saying, this is exactly how you do this. It should be introducing you to new materials, new techniques, new ways of like looking at things. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I, I try it all. I try different things, you know, I, I've done, I've wood type sculpture work on canvas and I've mounted like, I, I've wired a light switch inside a canvas to make it interactive. And I, I, I don't want to limit myself in any way. And I try everything. If I can get an idea in my head and I, I'm going to go, I'm going to try to figure out how to do it, which is, I think what art should be. Mm -hmm. you know, get, get an idea in your head and then figure out what, what to do with it. Um, but I, I want to kind of get in a little bit, you know, you went to art school. That's a passion of yours. Obviously you, you had a passion for art before you went to college when did you really in your life feel like you wanted to become an artist and start taking it very serious? So that was kind of my game plan for eternity. Like as a little kid, as a really little kid, I watched a lot of X-Files and said I was going to be an FBI agent slash uh, fashion designer. That one didn't last really long, but once I started entering the like actually thinking life plan stage, whenever that was, art was right at the top of the list from the start. Um, and that never really went away. There was a period of time after I graduated where like a lot of people who go to art school probably experience, um, you graduate with all of this knowledge and all of this enthusiasm uh, and a certain amount of burnout because you've been just cranking out art content on assignment for multiple years. And then there are not just like a million people waiting to hand you jobs, generally speaking, at least in my experience. And so <laughs> after graduating, I actually quite randomly um, was a professional ballroom dance teacher for several years for the, the better part of the next decade. Um, and I was still making art the entire time and doing art related things. But I found a studio I could work at where that was a consistent paycheck and it was still a creative outlet. And I did that for quite a long time, um, which is still a visual art. So it's still kind of connected, but definitely sure. a different stream of things. And then um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but things have gotten weird the last few years on a global scale. A uh, so yeah. And partnered dancing where you're just breathing really close to another person's face and touching them stopped being the most viable career path. And so I was just looking at like, I'm resetting my life what's the thing that has always been the driving passion it's what i went to school for it's what i care about the most i'm just going to do that a lot and see if i can kind of course correct and go back to that being what my life is and so far so good now did tiktok really help facilitate like that decision like you know i know that that's for me like i was in the travel industry so as you can imagine the travel industry tanked and i worked yeah. basically off the off commission i mean i did get a i did get a wage but commission is where i made all of my money so i went from making eighty thousand dollars a year down to basically minimum wage and i was extremely unhappy and i had people calling and yelling at me every day so i was like i gotta i gotta make a change and my wife had already been previously laid off because she worked in a restaurant well nope then they weren't doing anything either so 
she's like, I want to go back to work. So if you want to stay home with the kiddo and do art, I'm all for it. And I was like, fucking soul. And I had joined TikTok in July. And at that point, I hadn't done any artwork in two years. I, you know, I, I had a young child and it just wasn't really in the cards. So I, I pretty much stopped doing artwork. And then TikTok kind of facilitated me getting back into artwork. And then I started selling work from people who were enjoying my artwork. And I was like, oh, wow, I can actually make money off of this. Up until that point, you know, I'd make maybe probably less than $500 off my artwork in 10 years. So I was like, wow, this is this is a real thing. I didn't think you could do this. So, you know, when I made that leap, it was like TikTok was a huge push for me to even get back into art and then using it to like monetize myself. And and it, it was that something that, that you found as well? Like, I know you have a fairly decent sized following on TikTok now. And was that something that really helped push you in that direction? TikTok came as a huge surprise to me. I was really resistant to getting on TikTok because um, it just, I'm right. I am not, you know, in my teens, I'm not tech savvy. I didn't really understand. Like there's all of the kind of old person grumbling about how TikTok is just dancing. <laughs> and I was like, I like dancing, but I don't need to go to a platform that's all dancing. Um, and I was really hesitant to do it. But I, I have been on Instagram for a long time and I was not really getting a lot of traction. I've been on Instagram for years and if I have I still have under 2000 followers on there um, just here. because I don't know. I don't really understand how people get big on Instagram. I don't get it. But uh, early on in the pandemic, when I decided to get into oil painting and that I was like, you know, I'm just going to dive back into the fine art side of things because nothing seems like a viable career path right now. So I might as well pursue the one that I would want if nothing else matters. And I decided to start this project where I really missed doing figurative work and I didn't have access to figure models and I wanted to do nude portraiture. And on this like crazy whim, knowing that most of the people on my Instagram were like friends and family members and like real world people, not like the distant, you know, followers you've never actually met. I put up a post on my Instagram being like, I know this is weird but does anyone want to send me nudes to paint? <laughs> and I assumed that like maybe two bold exhibitionists would respond. But this was, you know, early on in the pandemic, everyone was like bored and isolated and feeling kind of crazy. And I got this like wave of responses from like my, you know, Starbucks barista and like people I went to high school with and coworkers and like a friend of mine's ex. And just like all of these people showed up being like, yeah, like how do we do this? And so I started painting nudes and then that led to my first real burst of um, commission sales happening because people would commission me to do a piece specifically for them or for their partner, or they would send me a picture to paint just for their reference and then would end up liking it and wanting it. Um, so I had a whole burst of like these unexpected nude portrait commissions. And then a friend of mine was like, you have to get on TikTok. Like you're selling all of your art on the internet and you don't have that big of a following. Instagram is not the future of of social media you've got to get on TikTok and I finally made the switch to it I'm still on both but I started posting on TikTok and for a few weeks it was crickets it was like I was putting out content and there were like three followers and I was like how does this work why is it not working and it was because I was just like dumping content and then leaving the app I thought I was like too good for the app so I wasn't liking other people's stuff. I wasn't making friends. I wasn't doing the social part of social media. I was just like, here's my art. Why don't you love it? 
Yeah. And then <laughs> at some point I was like, I guess if I'm actually doing this, if I'm putting the effort to like make posts, I should put in the effort to understand what this app is. And I started actually like interacting and meeting other artists and doing things. And I've been on TikTok now for probably about a year and I have like 16,000 followers, which is not yeah. insane. It's not like millions or anything, but I never, if you told me two years ago that I would ever have 16,000 followers anywhere, I would think you were crazy. Um, so it definitely has helped sales, but it wasn't the origin point. Instagram is actually bizarrely enough where I started really picking up sales in the last couple of years. You know, I, I, I feel like your 16,000 followers are very organic and which honestly having 16,000 organic followers is better than having a hundred thousand followers that found you off of one viral video. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, I see posts all the time of people who go viral and then are like, I don't like the side of TikTok that I'm on now. I don't like the audience yeah. suddenly that's looking at my stuff and that kind of scares me. Yeah, I had, I didn't personally have a video go viral, but I sent a piece of my artwork to somebody and that went viral and it has 24 million views on it. And I got like, 12,000 followers in the span of a week off of that and it, it's not like I don't I don't those people don't interact with my content like at all so they're not purchasing artwork from me they're they're not it's not they don't do anything so I feel like, you know, you look at my account and be like, oh, wow, you have 23,000 followers. Like, no, I probably have about 5,000 true followers. And I have about 18,000 people who really could give a fuck about me, but they followed me because of this person. Well, and so, not that it's worth chasing all of the weird math behind social media, because I, I don't think it's worth the energy, but that does also mess with your algorithm stuff. Because if they say that, you know, the how, however the first 10 or 20 people interact with your video that kind of deems its fate. So if you've got this whole audience full of people that aren't gonna comment and aren't gonna like and aren't gonna watch the whole video, it's robbing the people who would have looked at it from the opportunity to see it probably, which sucks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I, we just started a, a, an account specifically for the our PTFW Art Collective where we share artists for people to you know find and help get people you know, our main goal is to try to get people up to a thousand followers so they can go live because going live is really where TikTok seems to be wanting people to go. But my videos on that plat or on that TikTok versus my videos where I have 23,000, they do way better with my 1600 that I have over there, you know, where I'm getting, you know, five to sometimes 3,000 views on a video where I can post a video on my personal account and it's maybe hitting three or four. Some of them go a little higher, but it, it's it's kind of crazy how it works. And, and that's why we're like, hey, let's start this Discord. So whenever we get, uh, whenever we drop a new video, you know, everybody in the Discord can run over there and like it and share it and do what they have to do to try to help boost that algorithm. It doesn't work very well. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, it's just a matter of trying to help each other out as an artist and do what we can uh, and the discord's been a great place for all of us i spend way more time in there than i do anywhere else just because everybody in there is like super chill and we talk about art and it's been this really great collective commingling of minds 
Um, so yeah, I, it's kind of, it's weird how social media works. I, I have a very love hate relationship with it. The same. I think everybody does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I noticed that you'll sometimes like looking through your videos today, like they're very well put together. Um, I think your production value is really great. And I think that's where you've been able to excel and, and gain a really great organic following because you're very soft-spoken. You're putting some great content out there, a lot of knowledge for people to absorb uh, and your artwork is beautiful. But I, I, I there's one thing I, I want to ask you about and it's your drawing your inspiration from writing down on those paint uh, swatches and then just drawing three things. And I was like, wow, that's a really unique way to kind of get yourself out of the box and at the way you think and, and just draw what you have. This is your prompt and this is what you do. To me, it kind of takes me back to college and gives me a little trauma because uh, I hate drawing from prompts, but I, I like that you, you do that for yourself. Like, because everything that you write down is something that, hey, I might want to draw this, or this is something I've thought about drawing. Um, you know, how did you come up with that concept, and uh, when did you start doing that? Well, uh, truly, a lot of the things that are really prevalent in my art life now started during the pandemic, and that's another example of one where one of the things I decided to do was to actually fully fill a sketchbook, which despite the fact that I have made art for my entire life, I have never until truly like a month ago when I finished it, I had never fully filled a sketchbook. Um, and one of the things that I did to try and make that happen was this random prompt system where I would write down these random prompts. And it's funny you say that you, you don't like drawing from prompts. You don't want to draw something you don't want to draw. Um, I specifically made a point when I first started of writing down things that I did not like to draw because oh, wow. I was like, I didn't only put things I didn't want to draw. I threw in some things that were fun, but I would also be like, I'm putting hands in there. I'm putting cityscapes in there. I'm putting like weird <laughs> animals that are hard to draw in there because the idea was you just have to do three things or four things, however many you draw, you just have to make a page using those components and you can get tricky or creative with it if you want, but like, we're, we're not hiding from those things anymore. We're doing it. We're filling the entire sketchbook <laughs> and we're drawing the things that we don't like drawing. It's just happening. Get cool with it. And so I started, at first I was doing it every day um, and it definitely dropped off. I don't do it every day now, but it was, you know, draw a few of these prompts, make a piece of art using those. And then I posted about it on TikTok. And I think that was the first video that I had that really got like fairly large visibility. People were pretty responsive to that. It wasn't like viral, viral, but it did okay. And um, people were so into the idea and wanting to do their version of it or wanting to join in sometime that on kind of a whim, I started sharing my prompts and doing it as like a weekly thing. So I still do it now. Every week I draw a set of prompts and I share them on Sunday. And anybody else who wants to join in can make a piece of art using those same set of prompts. And they use the hashtag and they tag me. And at the end of the week, I do a recap of some of the awesome submissions. And then I share the next week's prompts. And it's just this kind of rolling challenge that keeps going on. And I enjoyed it when I first started as just a personal challenge. But now that other people have joined in, it's gotten so much more fun. Because at the end of the week, I get to look at sometimes like 30 submissions that all look completely different from each other. Like sometimes someone will do like a 3D like object design. Sometimes people are painting, sometimes they're drawing, sometimes it's digital. It's like all different mediums. 
all different ways of looking at or approaching what the prompts are. And, but they're all coming from the same like three or four words. So um, I really love that project. I did not expect it to still be something that I was doing all this time later, but I filled my whole sketchbook. I've drawn a lot of things that I was afraid of before. And now it's like a fun community thing. Well, congratulations on filling that sketchbook. I, I, Thank you. I watched that video of you flipping through it and I was like, this is beautiful work. And I love that you Thank incorporated you. the numbers uh, throughout the sketchbook. I thought that was really unique. Uh, and you did it in different ways. Um, but I was like, wow, I, I have a hard time with sketchbooks because for me, I, you know, in order to make an income, I have to sell my work. And if I put it in a sketchbook and kind of like you said, that sketchbook, if you tear a page out, it, it ruins the integrity of the entire book. So you don't even have that um, ability to do that. So for me, I'm like, if I put it in a sketchbook, it takes the potential of me being able to, to sell this to somebody who may want it away essentially i mean i can cut it out but it's really not but i like the it's, it was a personal challenge for you to do that kind of like right now i have a personal challenge. challenge uh as well it's to draw 365 of my daily halloween sketches i don't draw them every day because i got a three-year-old and that's just damn near impossible but i still want to draw 365 of them this year and I'm at 153 right now. And I, so I've, I've still, I've kept up, but yeah, it's, it's tough. It is tough. And a big part of it was just the challenge of, I wanted to fill a sketchbook. I wanted that to be a thing that I had done. Um, but the other thing is that I'm not going to like capitalism shame any artist. It makes me crazy when people say things like having prints makes you a sellout or that like real artists shouldn't care about money. Or, that's ridiculous. Like we all have bills to pay. Yeah. all of that. But I think one of the reasons that I really liked working in that sketchbook and dedicating so much time to something I couldn't sell was that as a starving artist, as someone who's always making stuff with the hope that someone will throw me a bunch of money for it, it was kind of therapeutic to have something that I'm consistently working on that I know is only for me. It's not going to turn a profit. There's no, but it's, I've had a couple people commission things based on pages from that sketchbook. Well, they'll say like, I really love this one spread. Can you do like a canvas version of it? And I'm like, sure. But the actual sketchbook itself is for me only. It's a creative exercise. And that takes a lot of the pressure off when you start it because there's no question of like, well, are people going to like this? And is this sellable? And does this fit with my like brand or whatever? It's just right. making exclusively for me. You know, with and, my and the way you do that, I think is, is, is quite good. Like you are a brand, right? We, we did a, we do many shorts of these podcasts as well. And that, that comes up a lot is you as, as an artist, you are a brand and you want to market yourself as a brand. Um, and, and uh, I personally, since high school, I personally have had issues with that whole concept of you brought up the whole, like people saying that uh, art shouldn't be about money. Um, I struggle with that just because of my reason for creating, you know, like I'm not going to, I don't badmouth any artist. Like if you're, if you consider yourself an artist, cool. I personally don't consider myself an artist. I'm more of like a, I create like uh, that. That's it. And only because I don't, I see a, a, as being an artist in my opinion, or the way I would feel is like a job. You know, it's like, if I make money from it, cool. Is that my goal? Yeah, but it would be nice is what I mean. It would be nice to actually be able to make money from what I what I create and what I love doing. 
but um, do I create essentially just to make money? Um, once I get to that mindset, I feel like it becomes um, uh, ungenuine for me. And then I, I start losing the the motivation and the oomph, you know, to create. And I've fallen into that before. Um, and then like actually recently. So I've had to kind of stop doing what I'm doing and almost like what you said with the with the sketchbook. You know, like I've had to completely wipe and be like, all right, either I'm gonna stop this completely or I'm gonna quit for a bit, paint for myself, and then see where I'm at. So that is very beautiful how you have that, how you said that and explained that because I can, I can, I understand where you're coming from, from it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting how art, well, people's different definitions of art and what people do to actually cope with the burnout, so to speak, or uh, how to cope with your passion becoming a job. Yeah, that's definitely a hard balance for anybody to walk. And don't get me wrong, I genuinely really like working on pieces that are for sale. I love when someone commissions me for something. I love when I make something not necessarily with a particular client in mind and someone loves it and wants it. That's a great feeling, but it's a different feeling. When when selling it is any part in your mind, it does affect your process. It doesn't necessarily cripple it depending on what kind of artist you are, but if especially if I know beforehand that there's like a specific client in mind, I'm going into something thinking about how to create what they're going to love and what's going to tell the story that they want and what's going to hang on their wall and make them feel a certain way. Um, and that's a, a, an important thing. But sometimes you want to create art that you're just like, I don't care if anybody else likes this. Right. This is what I want to draw right now. So it's happening. Yeah, I, uh, I don't do a lot of commissions because I have to have, I have to be passionate about the commission that I'm doing. Otherwise I don't feel like it comes out as well as it should be. Uh, I recently had a commission that really kind of saved me from being like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I, I'm not so much burnt out, but I'm not, I'm not able to financially keep going with what I'm doing. So I need to shift so I can actually make some money to bring in the house some way, shape or form. And I got this commission and I put my heart and soul on this piece and it turned out absolutely amazing. And it's my favorite piece I've created. And I, and I wrote a letter to the, the person who commissioned it today when I sent it off. I said, hey, you really don't know how much this meant to me and how you, you really kind of kept me from quitting. Um, it, it's, I, I don't necessarily get burnt out, but sometimes, you know, I want to keep making an art. It's my passion. It's what I want to do. And I work my ass off to do it. Like I, you know, in the next two days, like I've been up since eight 30 this morning and I've been working nonstop. You know, it's, it's almost nine o'clock where I'm at. So I'm at 12 and a half hours. I haven't eaten a single thing. I've drank six Red Bulls, smoked almost a pack of cigarettes, and I have been busting my ass all day long. And I'm probably going to stay up for another three or four hours working on my artwork. And I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Because these are my two days to do it, and I'm okay with it. And, and you know, is when come Wednesday when my wife goes back to work, I'm gonna be up till two o'clock in the morning working on my artwork because that's what I want to do. I'm very passionate about it. But there, there comes a time where like you, you're putting all this effort in. And I know that art is a very long game. 
you know, the, the kind of the running theme, I listen to this podcast called Clean Break, and it's an art business podcast. The running theme that all these artists say is art is a long game, and what you have to eat a lot of shit is what they say before you reap the rewards. And and I understand that, but sometimes it's like you can't keep going this long game if you're if there's no intrinsic value that you're, you're getting back or monetary value getting back from it because it's it's not cheap to be an artist, right? You know, and I have to really think about what I create sometimes because like I work I work on wood panels, you know, those are twenty thirty bucks a piece depending on the size, and I can't just go down and, and grab one and paint on it. And I want to I want to put out quality work, so I'm not using cheaper canvases. I have, but I'm trying not to. Um, so I, I there's there's a lot of thought that I put into what I, I paint. Now my drawings that I'm doing daily, I'm doing those all on Stephen King book pages. They're all recycled work. I buy a new set of pins once a month, costing about thirty bucks once a month. That I go and I buy the pins, so it's not a huge like put out for me to do that and all that work like i don't care so much that it's what i want to draw like this these are my my prompts that i'm using i don't really get any influence outside and sometimes they're shit sometimes they're awesome and i still use them because you know this is a goal of mine and I, i'm like if i don't like keep up with this i'm gonna fail so I, and i want to succeed with this so uh, you know, there's times where I'm like, that's a complete shitty drawing and I hate it, but I'm still going to put it in the zine. I love that you brought this up because this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately about the various hazards of social media um, is people don't spend enough time posting their crappy art. And I think it creates this illusion. You see these creators and you're like, they're knocking it out of the park every time. Every post is viral. Every piece of art is a masterpiece. And I feel like a lot of the creators that I like the most, sometimes you see one where they're like, womp, womp, look at this bad thing I made. It's hilarious. And it makes you like connect to them more. It makes you more realistic about the process. Like yep. I, th I really appreciate that kind of transparency from artists. And I try to do that with my own social media presence because there are going to be days where you make something that you're like, that that's a bummer, but I made mm -hmm. something and the making yeah. is still important. It's still valid. And I yep. think that's actually very important to show um, to some artists that feel that can feel kind of inadequate. Uh, I know when I was early on in TikTok and we were creating a community, um, one of the things that they were really big on explaining and being like um, being open about is how discouraging it is. Because like you're saying, we, we post a bunch of our good shit and we never post our our sketchbooks. Right. The stuff that we're, we're practicing. Uh, we never post any of that and all they're seeing is this as they say you know because i don't really think my stuff's cool i just i just i like color and stuff you know so like but people are like all i'm seeing is all this this really cool and uh beautiful art and i can't do that and so i'm i i think i'm just i, I think i'm gonna quit because i'm never gonna get to that point but then if they're seeing people that do really cool stuff and then they go, oh, by the way, I also do this. And you're like, oh, my God, that's that's a that's completely different. It could actually boost their morale and help them stay with their with their um, their hobbies, you know, with their with their passion. So that's actually really cool. Absolutely. You know, I think social media can. Oh. No, go ahead. 
Um, I think social media can be really discouraging in a lot of ways. Um, one of them is like you were saying that like, you know, everything looks so perfect. We're just seeing this like glossy version of it. But I also think that I want to be careful with how I word this because obviously you should not steal things from other people. But I think sometimes the fear of like copying or taking from mm -hmm. somebody then paired with this stream of just like endless visuals can leave someone in a place where they're like, well, everything has already been done. I don't want to do this because it's too much like that. I don't want to tackle this because it's like, like maybe someone is trying to do um, like more of a photorealistic style, but then they're seeing like the best people in the world and their version of photorealism. So they're like, well, if they've already done it and they've done it the best, I should just stop. Like there's this right. feeling of like, it's already happened and it's already happened better than I could do it which I think is really unhealthy because of course you should have your own ideas and you shouldn't take things from other artists. But throughout all of art history, people have been inspired by other artists. People have done their take on other concepts. Like there are no real truly new ideas and it's okay to approach something and to have it be your version of that thing as long as you're not like directly ripping somebody off <laughs> i mean you could say that everything i do is stealing because i'm a pop culture artist right. so like if I, and, and i'm okay with that i really don't give a fuck say what you want um and that's just i i it's come it's taken me a while to come to grips with that you know because i i, I like i as a product of the 80s we are very much into that the early millennial kind of bridge gap we have this nostalgia feeling and that's, you know, we really hold on to our childhood. So a lot of the things from my childhood and pop culture are things that I want to paint and what I like to do. And I, I, I would say I less steal them. I more appropriate them. I take them and I put them in my own, own vision. Right. You know? And it makes sense. Like your art is about your lived experience and your lived experience has pop culture references and celebrity and history there these are these are part of you too it's completely valid for you to want to make art about them i just know yeah. i see posts sometimes on tiktok or on instagram or wherever where it'll be an artist being like well someone stole my idea because i drew a fairy and then they drew a fairy and i'm like uh -huh. well <laughs> i think some people before you drew a fairy yeah I, <laughs> we have dealt with this uh Marco and I have dealt with this firsthand. Um, oh yeah, you know. Um, at one point, you know, like I'm not even going to say. It. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Continue. <to look. laughs> oh, I didn't mean to bring I, up some uh, some tough you, stuff. Well, no, I I think <laughs> what what it really what I would like to kind of dive into here, um, kind of because this leads to a, a a mental health yeah situation when artists and creatives in general. Um, we put a lot of our own ourself into what we're doing. So when we're drawing, whether it be something that we're appropriating or something unique and original, um, we put a lot of ourselves into our artwork. You know, every single yeah. pen, brush, pencil mark that we put on there is is very well thought out, and and we're we're doing what we can to create this. And when we have people saying we're copying or degrading our artwork, it can be very hard to take. And you, you really have to have thick skin as an artist to really, 
I mean, to really make it essentially, because you're going to have ridicule. There's always going to be critics. But when a fellow artist is putting you down, you know, creatives have a higher suicide rate than most people. I think it's like 33% higher for creatives. And for me, it's like, I would much rather give somebody a compliment sandwich where I compliment their artwork and then I tell them something they can improve upon and then finish that off with another compliment. So they feel like they're actually getting something than just ridicule or, or critique or, or I'm just being mean. Like I, I don't want to be that person. I want to be encouraging. And, and I think a lot of artists that gatekeep, they fail to realize that what they're doing can be very detrimental and they could actually essentially might end somebody's life. Yeah. You know, I don't understand the drive to say anything negative about anyone's art online at all. Like I know yeah. everyone does stress the compliment sandwich. And of course, if you are giving something negative, that is the way to deliver it. But I see all the time, whether it's sandwiched or not, people going into posts where they're not asking for feedback and being mm -hmm. like, you really should have done this this way. And it's like, do, what's happening here? Like, do you know what that artist's career trajectory is? Do you know what their goal was with this piece? Are you the official representative of what is or is not good art? I don't, the, the drive to criticize other people's artwork is baffling to me. I've had some people reach out to me before and say, hey, like I appreciate you as an artist and I was wondering if you would give me feedback on something. And then I'm like, yep. sure, let's talk about it. But the idea of just rolling up onto someone else's art and and saying negative things is so confusing to me, especially given, just like you said, what an, an incredibly sensitive group of people we are and how personally most of us take what we do to have a stranger just unsolicited tell you a bunch of mean stuff about your work is one of the you know, worst parts of social media. If I have a critique for somebody, and I, I, I won't just straight up critique somebody that I don't know, but if I have a critique for somebody, I usually say, hey, um, do you mind if I give you a, a pointer or a piece of advice on this? And, and, you know, they're like, Oh sure. What, you know, and I mean, you know, check this out. If you do it, if you do it this way, you might be able to get more depth out of this. And, and, and it's not like me critiquing, but I'm, I'm trying to show them something that might be able to help them and, and something they may not have thought of. But I think the most important part of what you just said is the very first part. The fact that you start it with, can I give you something on this? Yeah. And I would assume that's with the understanding that you're going to be okay with it if their answer is honestly, no. I'm at a stage with this piece right now where I'm still doing some experimenting or processing on my end. I'm not ready for feedback or I've had a really bad week. I cannot hear it today. Sure. I think it's important that beforehand you're setting up that boundary of like, I'm going to tell you what I think you should do with this. Are you willing and able to hear that and, yeah. and give them the chance to say yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, I set up personal boundaries that I don't like to cross. Um, and, and I think that's important for all people, no matter what your profession or chosen hobby might be. Yep. Uh, and I, it, and for me, it's like, I don't want to disrespect anybody, but if, if I feel like I might be able to give them a piece of advice that they might be able to use or a technique or, or life advice in general for somebody, I, and if they're willing to listen to that, you know, if I, if they're open to it, I, I ask first, you know, I, I always, even if it's a close friend, you know, if I, if Marco is, is doing something, I was like, Hey, um, you know, I, Marco and I are pretty close. So if I say, Hey, what if you did this, 
you know, or like we'll send each other works of art back and forth. And a lot of times we'll be like, well, what if you tried it in black? Or, you know, he'll do digital designs or something. Or what do you try this here? Um, but if it's something that I'm like, hey, you know, if it's something that I'm, I feel like he might take offense to, I always preface it if I can, if I can, because I, I, I don't want to to sever any relationship that, you know, him or I have or anybody that I have. So, I think it also boils down to what your objective is, because truthfully, if, if the person who's giving the criticism or the critique, if their true objective is to help that other artist, they're going to want to make sure they're saying it to them in a time and in a way where that person is going to hear that information and be able to take it in. And yeah. if they're just vomiting information at them, chances are that person is not actually interested in helping that other artist. They're interested in sounding smart and proving mm -hmm. that they know what yeah. they're talking about. Because if they really were worried about that artist, exactly, they would be thinking yeah. more about how to deliver that information in a way that would actually achieve their goal of helping. Yeah. I mean, you probably know what it's like going through a critique in art school where you're, you're sitting in a room with yeah. a group of people and you're going around the room and then everybody gets to critique your work and you get to sit there and yeah. you have to take this critique and, and it's whether it be unsolicited or solicited critiques, you, you have to just sit there and take it. You could be having a shit day and it doesn't matter. You're going to sit there and you're going to do this critique and it can be hard to deal with. And like, I went through some critiques where I spent 45 minutes arguing back and forth with my instructor, <laughs> not a fellow student, my instructor. And I finally was like, okay, you may be right. And he goes, well, I am right. And I said, that's fine and all, but I'm not wrong. We're done. <laughs> and he goes, Let's take a break. And he came up to me afterwards and he goes, are we okay? And I said, sure, we're fine. But I'm not a 22-year-old kid. I'm a 29-year-old man. I have a family. And you're not going to bully me like you do with other students. I will be respected. And I really it – didn't. it took me like five or six years to fully understand what he was doing. He wasn't being vindictful. He wasn't being mean. He was setting me up for a world that might be harsh for me in the art world. Yep. Yes, but I think people use the harsh art world defense for a lot of dick behavior. Sure. I think it's true. The art world can be harsh. The world in general is harsh. Yeah. I don't I think that the excuse that you're preparing someone for eating shit by forcing them to eat shit just means that you like doing that to someone. I well, don't think you have to lean into the nastiness of the world. And as unpleasant as some of those critiques can be, and trust me, I, I had my fair share of fights with, with professors and fights with students and fights with myself during those sessions, there was at least the benefit of going into that day. I knew that was what was going to happen. I could like put yeah. on my emotional armor on the subway on the way to school. I was like, okay, it's coming. So like get your fights ready versus the, the challenge of social media is at any moment you might just hear like ding and someone's like, I hate you and your art. And you're like, oh, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so that's the vibe today's gonna have. It's just like you at any moment, which is a lot more stressful to me. Yo, you know, I gotta say this. I gotta say this. You guys are talking to me about your social media is awful and uh, art teachers. Because, like I said, I didn't go to art school. I had like one art class in college, just as an elective, and I did that so I can have an easy A. I was going for nursing, right? I'm like, cool, art 101. But no joke. 
I don't really feel like anyone critiques your art, especially abstract. Like, look at this, right? Crazy stuff, right? I don't think anyone critiques it as harshly as old Alaskan women that are into traditional art, right? Like, <laughs> And yourself, I thought you were gonna be like, You're always your harshest, and then you were like, No, oh, no. these old Alaskan bitches. <laughs> no, no. What? I do, I do very, I critique my stuff to the part where I think everything I make is crap, but I don't make myself feel inadequate, right? Because I, I know everything I make is crap, but these old ladies, I put a piece, I put uh, several pieces actually, just for fun. Me and a friend of mine are the ones that actually started to try and push each other to sell art up here in Alaska. And so I was like, hey, I found out about a little art thing that they're doing at a senior home, right? And they do it every year. Oh, no. And um, <laughs> I know a lot of the people that actually not only live there, but actually work there because of the type of work I did. So it was a very easy thing of, hey, how do I do it? Oh, we could do it free. Awesome. Here's a couple pieces. Cool. But the thing is, the people that were critiquing it were some of the residents there that are artistically uh, able and they do wonderful work. I'm not saying anything bad about them. And an actual, a supposable actual person that has judged art a lot in their career. And I was like, all right, finally going to get some legit type of feedback, right? I've never done this before. I've never had this before. We put our stuff up and my friend does a really wonderful traditional watercolor and landscapey type of stuff. Stuff that you would see up here normally. And then you got my really weird radical stuff, right? And... I, I not only did I score super low, but I had the most ridiculous comments on each of my papers. Like, there's too much going on. What are you even trying to do with this? This is such an eyesore. And I was like, why you got to be so mean, man? Like, <laughs> it was in the so uh, in the weird life journey that was going from ballroom dance to full time artist, a stop along the way was I worked uh, during the pandemic. I did art therapy for seniors with Alzheimer's, which was in many ways a very rewarding, amazing, moving experience. But I will tell you, as beautiful and powerful as that can be, also old people can be mean as hell. Oh my God. And like, we would talk about like art history and stuff. And if I dared put a Picasso up on the screen, they were like, that's ugly. It's not good. I'd be like, okay, I didn't make it. Uh, I'm sorry that I've offended you with these bright colors and shapes. <laughs> we would go back to some beautiful pastoral scenes. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me that they, they came after you. Oh yeah. Man. I found it very funny. I didn't take it hard at all. I was just like, wow. And my friend was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, man. They're, they're all women. They don't know what they're talking about. Not your target audience. Not everything is for everybody. Right, exactly. Okay. It's not the target audience. You know, when I, you know, Annie and I thought you were going to say yourself about your critique. Yeah. It brought up. I'm glad uh, that wasn't uh, only me. Uh, no, I, I was like, I fully thought he was going there. And then he said, old Alaskan women. And I was just thrown <laughs> off as you were. Uh, but that came out of left field. Um, but I, I, I heard this quote. I can't remember the artist who said it, but he said, you know, I look back at my art because I'm one of the people who I look back at my art, even if it's like a month ago, I hate it. But he said, you know, the art you look back on, you may hate, but remember, it's the art you made. And at the time, it was good enough to keep you going. You, right. you were proud enough of it to keep you going you progress as an artist. So uh, like I, I'm constantly looking at my artwork 
And I'm like, man, that's shit. Complete shit. But at the time when I made that piece, I loved it. I was like, oh, man, that's I'm so proud of this piece. Uh, and I'm sure in like a couple weeks, I'm going to look back at the piece that I just sent out that I absolutely love right now. Like, wow, I don't like that anymore. And I, I have no attachment to my artwork. Um, like when I finish it, I'm like, cool, this is, this is amazing. I feel really accomplished. And I love this piece. And a couple weeks, I'm like, somebody buy this, get it out of me, my hair. Otherwise, I'm going to paint over it. Um, so, yeah, but it, I think it's it's key for people to realize that as an artist, you grow and the artwork you make, it's good enough at the time to keep you going. Even if you look back and you feel embarrassed of it at the time, because I was looking at some stuff from like five years ago and I'm like, oh, my God, this will never because like some people on the Discord were like, oh. You should put that up on your on your Etsy or on your website. And I'm like, no, no way. <laughs> this is terrible. And it just kind of reminds me, at the time when I made this, I was proud of this. And it, it, I can look back at the growth that I've made. And that that piece I made was good enough to keep me going. So, Because uh, it was good enough that I kept it for some reason. I want to throw it away. But, <laughs> you know, it's just an important thing to remember. It's a nice way of looking at it. Yeah. Well, you know, we have been chatting on here for over an hour and uh, it's just, I feel like it's flown by. So let's get into a little bit about your YouTube venture that you are starting. Um, go ahead and just explain what your goal is there with what you're doing. I, I noticed you, you've kind of been exploding there. You got over a thousand followers. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. I was really shocked um, by the amount of support that I've gotten. It's it has truly blown me away. Um, so basically, I've been thinking about starting a YouTube for a while, and I couldn't really figure out what exactly my angle was going to be on that or why it was worth spreading to yet another platform, which is just like one more thing to maintain and figure out how to navigate and build an audience for and all of that. Um, but one of the things that pops up over and over again in these conversations among art communities on these various platforms is the negative feelings about art school. And I found myself sometimes kind of prickling or getting defensive when I would see these posts for people being like, don't go to art school. Art school is not worth it. All art school is bad. Art cannot be taught. Um, because I understand how that mentality forms and I'm truly not looking to fight anybody about almost anything. I'm too tired for that. But <laughs> as someone who had a really positive art experience and who really benefited from that education, it breaks my heart how many people had a negative art experience. And I really struggle with the concept that you can't teach art because I think that you can, you can always learn anything. It's just a matter of finding the right approach to it. Um, a dumb metaphor that I've been kicking around in, in trying to explain this what I'm trying to do with people is, um, bear with me, we're going to go on a metaphor journey. Okay, so there is no right way to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. There's basic components, you put them together, it's not complicated. You don't need to go to peanut butter and jelly sandwich school, probably. However, there's also a lot of different ways you can do it. You can use different bread, you can toast it or not toast it. Maybe instead of jelly, you use honey. If you're someone who's super passionate about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, there's no reason not to learn everything you can learn about the way that you can make that sandwich and then decide for yourself which of those things you're gonna use and how often you're gonna use them and when it's worth the extra energy or money and when it's not. More information is always good. So I just feel like this idea that like you can't learn art, yeah, you can, 
you can learn new techniques, you can learn new materials, you can learn what people have done before you that puts your work in new context. Information is always good. And you get to decide when and if you use that information and if it applies to you and if you like it. Um, but I just hate the mindset of like, that's something that's inherently bad. Because I'm someone who went to art school, I'm going to be real, I am shocked I got into the school that I did. Talking about looking back at your old art and being like, that's bad. I got in with scholarships and my portfolio was straight trash. I don't understand how. And in the time that I was there, I had, you know, professors who gave me encouragement when I needed it. I had professors who kicked my butt when I needed it. And I had, you know, professors teach me things that I went, I hate that and I'm never going to use it. And I also had them teach me things that I love and still use every day. But I armed myself with more information that I had. And as a result, my art is better. So I know that there are also a lot of people, there are people who pursued arts education and had a bad experience. And there are people who never pursued arts education, either because they didn't have the schedule to be able to, they didn't have the finances, they didn't have the support from the people around them, they didn't have faith in themselves. There's all different reasons why people might want that information and, and believe that they can hone those skills but not have access to it. And so I wanted to be able to formulate kind of a free online art school for anybody who falls into those categories or even people like me who had a good experience but some time has passed and I could definitely use some brushing up on some of those core concepts that are really valuable. Um, and I know that, that, like you were saying earlier, YouTube is an incredibly vast platform. It's not like I'm the first person who's thought to put arts education material up there. But I feel really strongly about talking about like what your brand is. I feel very strongly about branding a version of arts education that's focus is curiosity and kindness above everything else. I want to be supportive of people in whatever it is that they're trying to figure out, whatever version of art they want to make. And I want to approach everything from an aspect of curiosity, understanding that I don't know everything. If someone comes in my comments and is like, well, actually, I do it this way. Great. I'm going to try it that way and see if I like it. I want to see if I want to do your version of the peanut butter and jelly sandwich instead of mine. It's worth trying. And I think that I'm in no way talking trash about anything else that's out there. There are a lot of really valuable arts education resources already out there. But I think a lot of them try and mirror themselves after what the traditional arts education structure is of like, this is going to have this kind of, this is how you do it. And this is what three point perspective is. And here's the exercise we're going to do together to learn this thing, as opposed to, I'm really just kind of going on an adventure of learning and people can come along with me. And I'm going to talk through the things that I already know and feel confident in, but I'm open to debate about. And I'm also going to approach some things that I don't know very well. I have a trip planned for later this month where I'm going to go visit a friend of mine in Portland who has a whole ton of connections in the Portland art community. And a lot of them do things that I don't do. They're like ceramicists and tattoo artists and all these different mediums that I'm not familiar with. And I'm going to try and schedule as many filming sessions with them as, they, as I can so that I can also learn these things and bring information so that if someone's curious about I doubt that there are a ton of tattooing classes in a traditional art school, but that's art undeniably. And I would love to hear from someone who does that, what the lessons are that they wished they'd known earlier on in their art experience. Real quick, Portland, Oregon or Portland, Maine? Yeah, Portland, Oregon. Oh, so you're gonna be about an hour and a half away from me. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I won't have a car, so I don't know that I, it'll do much, I, I, but I'll well, wave to you from the plane. I live about an hour and 20 minutes south of Portland, Oregon. I live in Eugene, oh, nice. Oregon. 
which is if if you get the opportunity to come down here at all, it's a beautiful art community. Absolutely that amazing. That whole area. I lived in Seattle for five or six years. Um, and my one of my closest friends lives in Portland. She's my main hub that I'm visiting on this trip. And that entire stretch of the Pacific Northwest has such an amazing art culture. And then it also is so sickeningly beautiful out there. That coast, I will never recover from the hiking over there, from the beaches. I was and now I'm in Chicago and it's just snow everywhere. I was born and raised on the coast, so I know exactly what you mean. Uh, but getting back to, we'll we'll talk more about this after the uh, the podcast because I'd love to pick your brain on on that on your trip to Portland a little bit. But you know, I I I I feel like that's such an amazing idea that what what you're doing, and it is unique. I mean, yes, people have done this, but you seem to be approaching it in a little bit different way. Um, you want to. You want to actually, you want to put content out there for people to learn, but you also want to learn yourself. Like these are things that you want. This is an educational journey for yourself more than maybe more so than it is for anybody else. Like a lot of times when I put out like our advice things on, on TikTok, I'm usually putting them out there. So I remember these things and implement them into my life. Whoever, whoever takes it and uses it and implements it in their life, that's just an added bonus. So I love that you want to build this community around kindness and creativity. Because, I mean, essentially that's what PCFW is. You know, paint the fucking world. It's not, not about art. It's about showing kindness and love and compassion and inclusion with everybody around you and, and to paint that into your life. And, and have this this community of people who you can rely on and, and, and run things by and get positive feedback and critique. It, it's just all about positivity and, and community. And I feel like you have this great thing that you're trying to really do that as well. I feel like I don't even really particularly view my continuing learning and my audience's continuing learning as two separate things. I think if the core thesis behind how I view art in general is that there are not right or wrong answers. There's just different routes depending on what your end goal is. Sure. And if I think that that any artistic process is continually learning and evolving and growing and that there is always more information you can take on and there are always new things you can try, it wouldn't make any sense for that to be my core philosophy and then to be like, but I have all the answers, which I'll now give to you. It's like, well, yeah. that goes completely against the entire idea. So there are things that have more of a black and white quality to them. Like one of the first videos that I did was on some kind of like fundamental color theory. And that has a lot of wiggle room in that there's no one right way to use color, <laughs> but there yeah. is fundamental terminology. So like, there's not a lot of debate on what a complementary color is. That's just part of the vernacular of understanding and being able to communicate your art. And I posted about it and I had someone come into the comments and be like, I don't think those colors look good together. And I was like, um, that's okay. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that they are complementary colors, like from a color wheel opposite perspective, like a dictionary definition that's what they are. So you don't have to use them. You don't have to like them together. I'm just explaining some terminology. And they like 
fully died on that hill. They fought people in my comments for like an entire day being like, well, I hate them and I'll never use them. And I was like, okay, that's, that's fine. <laughs> but it really did make me think about like moving forward with my videos. I want to make sure that I'm very clear about the fact that everything I'm doing is coming from the standpoint of, I want, I want us all to try whatever speaks to our souls. I want you to take what makes sense for you and throw the rest of it away. I want you to feel safe experimenting and trying new materials and sharing your artwork and, and expressing yourself in whatever means. The art is such an incredibly sensitive experience. Like you were just talking about, it tends to be people who, you know, might not have the most stable mental health in the world. And it tends to be creators who are incredibly sensitive people um, because art is an outlet for handling those things. So of course, a lot of the people who are drawn to it are people who need extra help processing their emotions, processing their life experiences. I just think that art is such an inherently emotional, sensitive, fragile thing. And yet, like we were just talking about earlier, there's this idea of the art world is harsh, so get used to it. And I'm like, no, I how about instead of getting used to it, we fix it and make it less harsh? Why, why is that not an option? That, um, that, so yeah, that's uh, uh, one of the things that we've been trying to kind of counteract with what the PTFW is all about is like, look, there's this preconceived notion that this is how art is. And it's, it, the narrative needs to change. You know, it's an archaic narrative and it needs to change. So is it going to change with me? Probably not. I'm a small, small fish in a big pond, but can I, can I reach people that may think otherwise that they're saying, Hey, you know, instead of maybe being so harsh and, 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 and a gatekeeper let's let's be like hey let's work together if we stick together things will eventually change um and i heard something recently i don't even remember if i picked it up from a podcast or read it somewhere or what it was but it, it has stuck with me somebody said the only people who gatekeep ideas are the ones who are afraid that they'll never have another good one that the the anxiety of I don't want to tell you what kind of paint I'm using I don't want to tell you how I did this or what my approach is I don't want you using the same things as me I don't want you copying my ideas comes from this fear of like I'm clinging to this one thing I did and this is maybe there'll never be another good thing that I make and as soon as you can let that go and recognize and it's act quite the opposite probably like you were just saying a few weeks or months or years down the line, you're gonna look back at that thing and be like, that wasn't even that good. <laughs> Why yeah. not let that information be open and free and available to anybody? If, if the only reason my art is good is because I know a specific brand of paint other people don't know, then my art is not good. Yeah. You know, I, I think people who, my personal opinion on people who gatekeep, I think they're insecure. And along the lines of that, but I feel like they're insecure and they're competitive and they don't want competition. I'm competitive by nature. I think we all are, but I don't feel like I'm competing against other artists. I, I, I make myself compete against myself. My next piece needs to be better than my last. You know, whenever somebody asks me what my, what my favorite piece of artwork is, I always say my next one. Does it always happen? No. Do I feel deflated and, and, and defeated when it doesn't? No, I don't. And I keep pushing and moving forward. But it's, I try to keep myself humble and I try to keep myself striving for more. I don't want to be complacent with myself. 
And I don't want to be, I, but at the same time, I don't want to be competitive with anybody else. Yes, art is a, is a world of business, but at the same time, I'm like, if you like my art, awesome. If you don't, I'm not hurt. You know, my art's not for everybody. And I always say, like, there can be 99 people out of 100 that don't like your art. That's okay. You've reached one person. And honestly, that one person needs to be you. You need to like your art. Um, so it's I would just... Also, go ahead. I would also argue that if you're a competitive person, if you're a truly competitive person who wants to be the best at something, who wants to, you know, excel the, the farthest, it makes even less sense to gatekeep because... Do you want to win on a technicality? Do you want to win because the other person didn't have the same advantages as you? Right. That doesn't, if you're actually someone who wants to be the best, then you should want everyone to be able to have access to the same kind of materials and knowledge and opportunities that you have. So when you win, whatever that is, you actually did, I would think. Well, you I know, think I think a lot of artists of gatekeeping or being a gatekeeper is actually really interesting. Uh, because uh, as speaking as an ex gatekeeper, I actually in high school, me and I have had on your before. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, um, I was, I was really into like the punk scene and stuff. And the reason why I tend to shun other people way that I thought weren't wasn't necessarily out of insecurity in the sense of like myself, I was very insecure as a person, but those insecurities had nothing to do with the reason why I wanted to keep them out. It was more of a purity thing. Like if I, as a person was like, you're not punk, you're not real, you're a poser. It wasn't necessarily because I felt like a poser myself. It was more like, if I let you into my community, you're going to taint the community and you're going to soften us. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not what this is about. And now get be, you know, being older, being wiser and understanding, you know, what I was doing was not cool and was very anti-punk for that matter. Um, it was, it's just very interesting to look back at it. So when somebody comes up to me about art and, uh, cause I, that was one of my first experiences when I moved to Alaska and I was baffled by it, but, uh, this elitist, um, very gatekeeping mentality. Um, I didn't take it as this person was insecure. I mean, it's, it's easy to think that, uh, because that, that's one of the things that you would think of is like, this person doesn't want me to steal their competition or this person doesn't want me to do exactly what they're doing. You know, they're insecure about me either stealing their their money, their customers, or just their art style. But I felt it more along the lines of like, they didn't see me worthy. You're like, I wasn't worthy to be considered a part of their art community. And so I took it as like, a, oh yeah, all right. I see how you are. Yeah. I'm going to show you up. Just, but... to, just to say something here real quick, Marco. I don't know if you, you you deem yourself worthy because earlier in this podcast, you said you weren't an artist. No. Nope. And I wanted to say, fuck you, man. You are an artist. Own that shit and run with it because you very much are. Um, I am a creator. So what I mean by that, man, is my goal isn't necessarily to sell my stuff, right? Because the term artist is is almost like a title. It's like a it's like your career. It's like me saying I'm a CNA, you know, but the reason why I say I'm a creator is because my real goal in art is to inspire as many people as I can. If I sell it, awesome. I, I get money to put back into my my uh, my passion. But my real, real goal with this real weird, colorful, crazy shit 
that I live, that I am, because what you see is what you get with me. I'm very eccentric and I'm very loud and obnoxious and kind of like, ah, you know, like in your face, just like my art style is. But it's it's mainly because um, I what what I take from the artist community, what I take from other people when I go to uh, craft fairs or galas and stuff and I'm looking at these things and I'm awe inspired. I want to give that back to the community. So the reason why I don't consider myself an artist in the traditional sense is just based on that is i, I create yeah uh do you play any musical instruments i do are you a musician not really so so in is that also because you don't make money from it i assume maybe you do make money from it i guess what i'm asking is does this apply to other art forms does a financial component have to exist for someone to be worthy of the title no if you want to consider yourself an artist because you feel like you are, then you have every right to. The reason why I don't consider myself a musician is actually a completely different reason of why I don't consider myself an artist. And that's because I don't think I'm good enough. I play the guitar. All I do is power chords. I can finger pick. I don't really do like super complicated stuff. Uh, I play very simple um, rhythms and stuff on, on the drums. Uh, I play very simplistic bass. Uh, I love music and music is a huge part of my life, whether it's incorporated in my art style or not. I'm constantly listening to music. Uh, it's a universal language, just like visual art, just like anything that can speak to you emotionally is. It's a universal language. And that's why I am very attracted to it. But no, I don't consider myself a musician. Can what I, I find interesting. Can I ask oh, sorry. A Go ahead. Uh, you live in Alaska. You were born in New Mexico. I was. Okay. How long have you lived in Alaska? I'm going on eight years now. Do you consider yourself an Alaskan? Nope. I love this is us trying to trick you into labels. <laughs> right, I mean, right. And so that's you the there. thing, too. Hmm? You live there. You're in a, you, that's your, your residence. You've lived there long enough to get the perks of being there. Right. I do get paid. Alaska, Alaska claims you. They do. Okay. So, I mean, it's, that's like saying, you know, I'm, I'm not American, but you know, it's, you're, you're you, it's like saying you're not American because you have Hispanic heritage. American is probably the only thing that I would classify or give myself as a title because I was born here, right? I was born in this country. But the reason why I don't consider myself an Alaskan is because I don't own a gun. I don't hunt. <laughs> I fish. I occasionally fish, you know. But I wouldn't be worthy to call myself an Alaskan. And there's so many other people that I work with, female, male, whatever kind of sex orientation you have, that are way more Alaskan than me. And I will say that true to heart, like with no shame whatsoever. But that's so, a no. That's I don't base. It's interesting to base how you label yourself on yeah. other people. You're saying that you don't deserve that label based on other people and what their existence is like. It's just interesting. The thing I find particularly intriguing about the artist label part of it is this is another place where like, I thought I knew where you were going and you swerved. At the part <laughs> where you were first talking about the artist label, you were like, I don't consider myself an artist. And I literally thought you were gonna say the complete opposite of what you said your view of the artist part of it is that's a profession that's money-making. But 
for a lot of people, like the whole like a real artist wouldn't do that. A lot of people view the artist label as the complete opposite. A real artist doesn't do it for money. A real artist doesn't make prints. A real artist just creates for their own sense of creation, which is the exact thing that you're saying you do, which is why you don't define yourself as an artist, which just draws <laughs> back to all of these labels are ridiculous. Yeah, I would say, <laughs> if, if you said that, like what you do as an artist, because you're very much an artist and I will die on that hill, um, <laughs> is like what the head of the art department would classify an artist. You know, they would say, you make, they would look at me and be like, you're a creator. You create <laughs> content online to try to promote yourself to sell your artwork, which is very much, I mean, I, I haven't done it as much because I kind of hate TikTok right now because it's driving me crazy, but you know, they would look at you and be like, you don't do, you do it for the love of it. You're an artist. Just like she said, I mean, the, that, that the juxtaposition between your views and the rest of the world's views are really interesting. Yeah. I'm not really ties, a traditional person. No, no, go I ahead. just think it all ties back to that same concept of like, well, this is art, but not that like at the end of the day, one of the beautiful and exhausting things about art is that it is so incredibly hard to define and build walls around. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that if it's really hard to define what art even is, that it's right. really hard to define what an artist is. And that's yeah. exactly what I was going to say. And you beat me to it. There is no real definition. I, I took, um, I had an art history. I think me and Tyler were talking about it. I thought it was like, they're going to teach me art, but it was literally just art history. Um, which I liked, the, but the teacher had a really interesting definition that I never really thought of as a definition of art. So back in high school, I thought I knew everything and I had everything like as a definite, like everything means this, right? So I already, I knew what art was, what real art was. And uh, this particular teacher told me or told the class, you know, said that her definition. So right there, that gave me a concept I never thought. I was like, what do you mean your you mean the definition, right? No, it's like, no, her definition of art was anything that made you stop and just look at it. And it wasn't necessarily appreciating it. She made really clear or made sure that we knew it, we were really clear about that part. It's not appreciating it. doesn't matter if you like it or not. Just anything that makes you stop and look at it. Anything that gives, that makes you get a emotional, something emotional come out, whether it's like you, I hate it. I love it. Or I'm just like, nah, you know, anything that did that is considered art. So now I'm, I'm very, very open. I, I try to keep a very open mind, a uh, very open mindset with anything. And so now I'm like, you know what? If somebody asks me what the definition of art is, I, I look at them and I go, honestly, I don't care. I really don't care. I don't want to know what the definition of art is because what my definition, what I think is art might be different from you, might be different from this person. So it doesn't really matter if there's a definition. There's these titles. Those titles don't really matter. If you want to call yourself an artist, go ahead. I do not think less or more of you. I don't, I'm not going to look at your stuff and be like, you know what? You're not an artist because your stuff sucks. Or I'm not going to look at your stuff and be like, you know what? You should consider yourself an artist because this is amazing. You are what you are. You are, if you want to see yourself as that, go for it. I am nobody to give you a title or give you a definition. I can only judge myself. And that, again, I'm a creator just because I love to create. If you want to call me an artist, cool, good for you. And I, again, I won't take it offensive at all. But that's that's just me. That's just me. <laughs> 
One of the yeah. definitions that I, I heard back in my art school days that I'm not sure I completely agree with, but I think it is similarly an interesting way of kind of dividing things is a professor was talking about the difference between art and design. And they said, uh, good design is understood and good art is interpreted. That if you look at the design for, you know, the sign on the bathroom door, people understand what it's trying to tell you. They look at it and they're not sitting there going, but what does it mean? They're like, got it. That's where the bathroom is. And they go to the bathroom versus so the good art. Question? Oh, <laughs> exactly. my God. So but what's times. interesting about that definition is it puts all of the power on defining art on the viewer. Because if someone does come along and look at the bathroom sign and go, but what does it mean? Have they now turned that bathroom sign into art? Is it art now because they said so? So I don't love that it gives the control to the viewer instead of the creator, but I did think it was kind of an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, wow. I love that we've been able to talk <laughs> like art, art history and like go on these awesome tangents about theory and it's been an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> I should have warned you that I'm the chattiest person alive, no, and specifically oh, art, I can go forever. Uh, so, so what I'm going to do, I'm, I have some closing questions I ask everybody here, because I know that it's late where you are, and it's early where Marco is, because he's an hour ahead of me. Um, so I'm just going to ask you a few of these closing questions before we get out of here. Um, where do you see yourself in 10 years with, with your artwork and what you're wanting to do? Oh God, I'm about to say something so dark. This is such a chill question and I'm gonna have such a not chill answer. Okay, let's get weird. Uh, for some bizarre reason for my entire life, I've been convinced I'll die in my thirties. So honest to God, when you said, where will you be in 10 years? I was like, I won't. Um, is that, I, thought is that, <laughs> I thought that when I was younger, I was gonna die by 27 because all of my musical heroes at the time they all died at 27, so I was like, I'm not making it past 27. Here I am at 38, so I'm thinking we're I'm gonna just saying, I've always had this theory that I would die in my 30s. I turned 30 in the fall of 2019, and then we got pandemic. We've got war going on up in here. I'm just saying, it seems like this is my decade to go, which is all the more reason why I just got to like blast out all the cool art that I can, have a lot of fun. YOLO. Uh, well, hopefully we have you longer than that. Um, but I guess if you if you think that every day could be your last, it might be a good way to live. Yeah. Also, when I die at some point in, in the coming years, they'll use this clip from this podcast to be like, how did she know? And you guys yeah. will get famous. For the She's a witch. Thing, so. Quick, a witch. buy it all. Buy all her art. <laughs> Well, uh, I, that that is definitely dark, and I, I hope we have you longer than your thirties. Uh, I hope you live a, a nice, long, prosperous YouTube-riddled life. Um, Thanks, man. So, what is your ultimate goal with your art career? Um, that seems like something I should have an answer for, but I think really. One of the reasons that I've pursued art so passionately is that it is one of the few things uh, on the in the whole world that just makes me happy. It just makes me undeniably, ridiculously happy. I love doing it. It makes me feel better when I'm sad. It makes me, it gives me a form to celebrate through when I'm happy. It feels good. 
So the career aspect of art for me has always been, how do I get to do this more? Because the more I have to have side hustles and other sources of income to continue living, that's those are hours I'm spending not making art. And I hate those hours. I will I make art to a psychotic degree. People will be like, how are you always posting so much on social media? And I'm like, because that is all all I do. I get up and I just make art all day. And periodically, I have to stop to do things that are like, you know, maybe graphic design projects that are RE and pay the bills better, but are not like cool content for social media. Or sure. maybe I, you know, pick up a side gig for a while. Like I, I exist again in a capitalist society, but my art career is just about getting to make as much art as I can. So I don't have a specific ambition of like, I need to be in a certain gallery show or I need to sell at a certain price point or I want to win some kind of award. I guess I just want to be able to keep doing this until I die. Let's bring it back to death. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer though. I, I like that. You know, you just like, as long as I can keep making art, that's my ultimate goal. I, I dig it. And I'm hoping it's past your thirties. Um, other than your YouTube and TikTok channels that you have a lot of art advice on and art, you know, everything about art. What is, what is one thing that you could say to a young artist right now that you could help them in some way as far as advice goes? I think that the most important thing in the last few years that I've taken on in my art that I kind of just touched on is like this constant creation. I think a lot of times where people get locked up, there's this scarcity mentality of, I don't have a lot of time. So the time I have, I need to like make something really good or I bought this fancy art supply. So I'll never use it because it costs too much money. So it'll just sit on my shelf for forever. And I wasted a lot of time having that mentality, being like frozen up and not creating because I was concerned about scarcity of various aspects of life. And I've hit this kind of reckless stage lately where I just generate at all costs. I just make whatever I need to make. I get it out of my system. And if that means that I'm using materials that I won't have access to later, that's okay. Things come and go. It's material objects. If, you know, if I make something cool and sell it, I can buy more of whatever that is. And if what I make sucks, throw it away and keep going. Just keep creating because there, fear is such a waste of time. It just, when it comes to creating art, there are things that I, again, I didn't try really seriously try oil painting until like two years ago. And I've been making art for decades and I just wasn't using this medium that I now absolutely adore. And I'm not going to waste time being mad at past me for that. It's I, I learned other things working in other mediums. But do I wish that I had been brave enough to try it earlier? Yeah, big time. So I would say to any young artists out there, or not young artists, but people who are young to art, um, to just stop looking at things as limited and to just do with reckless abandon. I love it. That's That's a great answer. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. I I create to the, the same degree like yourself, and uh, I just don't care. I am using everything I possibly can to create with. I do have particular like things that I use that I would hate to run out of, but like when I go to the art store and they're out of my particular pen, it's devastating to me. But I know that <laughs> it'll come back. Um, well. I 
I learned a lot of lessons when I was teaching dance that apply to the art world. And one of the ones that I think of a lot in terms of that kind of mentality is when I would take a student to their first competition, there would always be this impulse because you have to pay for how often you're competing and all of that. And there's, there's a lot of expenses and a lot of fear. And so people would go to these big events and they would be like, I'm just gonna dance like one or two rounds. And I was always like literally the opposite. At your first competition, you should barely leave the floor. Because if you go and you've invested all of this time and energy and anxiety into it, and then you only get out there and dance one time, that one time is going to be terrible. You're going to be jittery and shaky and anxious, and you're going to do terribly. You're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to perform well. But if you're out there all day, it normalizes it. It takes all the pressure mm -hmm. off. And somewhere amidst the repetition and the doing it, you'll actually have some fun and you'll probably dance better during those rounds. And I think it's the same thing for art. If I sit here you know, tensely making a million thumbnails of what I'm going to do and like hoarding my art supplies. When I finally do it, it's going to be this like tight, anxious garbage. But if I just am like, <laughs> throw it all out there, one out of a hundred things maybe will be awesome. And that one thing is worth it. You know, and, and I, along with the dancing, I'm, I'm a musician as well. I claim that title. I, I've played music since I was 15 years old. Um, and I've done a lot of shows in the past, and the first song is always the hardest one. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's always true. the hardest one. Once you get past that one, it's all gravy from there. You, mm -hmm. you, you, you've settled into your routine. People are enjoying because you never know how people are going to react. But it's and and not to say that the second song can't be tough if people are you're not getting a good reaction from the, the crowd. But at that point, you're just like fuck it, I don't care. You move on. You finish your set, and you're done. But that first song is always the most nervous for me. So, yeah, it, it's it, it, you can equate that to a lot of things. Your first day at work, you're always the most nervous. You yep. keep going, you normalize it, and you get good at it. Maybe you get a promotion that first day with that one. So, yeah, just keep going and doing and creating and doing what you can to push yourself forward because it's just going to be like you're going to start a new medium. It's going to be nervy, nervous the first time you do it. But are you going to get good at it? Are you going to enjoy it? Possibly, possibly not. But why not do it? Why not try it? You know, you might get hired at a, at a job. You're going to be nervous for it. You may not like it. So you move on to something else. So, you know, it's, it's know life in general. To, I know you're trying to wind things down and I just keep continuing the conversation. But you keep saying things that I have thoughts about. No, and I ahead. just wanted to say... That makes me think about one of the things that drives me crazy, and I think it probably drives a lot of artists crazy, is when people who don't make art look at what you're doing and they go like, oh, I'm terrible at art. I could never do that. And you're like, how much time have you spent trying? And they're like, oh, I don't draw. And I'm like, well, then you can't draw because you don't draw. What is this conversation? Yeah. Like, I wouldn't go up to like an accountant at his job and be like, I could never be an accountant because I haven't <laughs> gone to school to learn how to do that. So of course I couldn't. Like... I can tell you with a hundred percent certainty that I could never become an accountant because <laughs> I would never become an accountant. Um, yeah, yeah. But yes, I, uh, my my answer. Uh, so my answer to that, because it's really funny that you bring that up. I get that a lot. I get that a lot. Oh, I could never do that. My answer to that is usually like, "What do you mean, like art?" And it's like, "No, I could never paint." And I go, "I'm sure you can if you practice." But my favorite thing to say is, "Oh, it's you probably haven't found your medium." And they're like, well, what do you mean? And I go, well, if, if you don't like painting, maybe try sketching, maybe try charcoals, maybe try oils, 
do some some knitting do something but you're everybody's artistic everybody it's like i said with music it is a universal language it is instilled in us primitively we were doing it on cave walls it is in our dna art is in our dna you just have not found your medium yeah definitely uh, i only have two more questions i'm gonna move on okay. to the last question <laughs> i'll focus i'll focus <laughs> uh I have recently been asking this question to everybody on the podcast. Uh, I'm, I love to read. And uh, I know a lot of people don't necessarily think, think as books as a sense of form of inspiration, but I have read a lot of books like some like um, steal, like an artist and the book art and fear. I, I got a lot of inspiration from those books. Is there anything that you've read, whether it be art related or not, that, you have found extremely inspiring in your life. Oh my God. I just got so excited when this question started because I love reading. I, I've not been as good in recent years as I used to be about just like consistently having a book going. Um, but I read a lot and I, I find a lot of inspiration. Um, the, the kind of obvious direct one is I've read a lot of comics and graphic novels and I find those both inspiring from like a storytelling standpoint and also from a visual standpoint. But I also really enjoy things that even if they don't directly tie to art, they just make you think about things from a different perspective. There's this book I've been reading called Women Don't Owe You Pretty by Florence Given or Given, Given. She's a, a British woman. Sorry. And it's a, a feminist book about kind of approaching feminism through a younger, more modern lens that is more inclusive and more thoughtful about what that approach should look like. Um, but I've been enjoying reading it. It's truly, I have been reading this book for probably like a year and the font size is enormous and it's not that long, but they're these really profound, beautifully written thoughts. So it's kind of like a like dark chocolate where like I'll read like a page and be like, I'm just going to sit with that for a second. I, I like that. I want to just process that. And then like a week later, I'll be like, I'm getting back in my book and I'll read like one more page and just be like, Ooh, that was delightful. But it's really <laughs> been interesting and kind of reframing. Like I definitely consider myself a feminist. A lot of my art in college was focused around some of the, like the complications of gender in general. That is an endless. Well, that is it always nuanced to dive into and I certainly don't have all of the answers or the insight into but sure. it's been nice to read something that is addressing it from I feel like a much more thoughtful and relatable standpoint than a lot of the feminist literature I've read before a lot of the other stuff that I've read has come from like an extremely aggressively academic standpoint where it's like back to like highbrow lowbrow like very like highbrow formal writing here's how you should be mad about things as opposed yeah. to this is much more like honestly also introspective where a lot of it covers even if you are a you know cis het woman in american society how are you continuing a lot of elements of the patriarchy without even realizing it how are you cheating yourself out of a lot of opportunities how are you betraying other people based on your social behaviors so it feels it, like it's as much a criticism of myself as of society in general. And it's an absolute blast. Everybody go read it. Awesome. <laughs> I, 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 I would love to actually pick that book up and read it because I love to read. And um, I'm always fascinated 
and trying to learn and better myself as a person. My wife gets on me a lot, and uh, I, I, I. I've taken toxic masculinity as far out of myself as I possibly can, but there are traits that come through and that just are, they're just learned and you sometimes need to, to realize you have those. So um, yeah, I, I think that sounds like a really fascinating book. Uh, I don't know if I could dark chocolate read like you do. Cause I. You can just up, read it like a normal person. Yeah, That's okay I tend to pick up a book and want to read it. Uh, like it's through. a delightful read. It's like beautifully laid out. There's illustrations. Like it's it's a very pleasant book to consume. Um, partially because it's handling subjects that are a little harder to stomach. So yeah. she she puts a spoonful of sugar on it. It's great. Awesome. I really I really love how you describe that because I know exactly what you mean. But like I I'm really big into philosophy and and ethics. I know a lot of people think ethics are boring, but I find them so fascinating just because of. Like we were talking earlier, like definitions are different from perspective to perspective. But I get that so bad when you read something and you're like, oh, man, I'm going to simmer on this. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to like deep dive into my own psyche. So I get that. And dark chocolate is such a wonderful uh, comparison. I love that. Yeah. I like when it's silly too. sometimes. <laughs> I'll like go through the whole process of being like, I'm going to carve out time in my busy schedule to read today. I'll draw myself a bath or I'll like put on like my cozy robe and like sit in its reading time. I'll be like, okay, <laughs> that, that was my one <laughs> sentence and I'm done now. <laughs> but I would rather be honest about that. I need like a little processing time with some of it that I want to sit with that and think about that than like skim past it and lose the opportunity to really ingrain that knowledge. Yeah, really digest it. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, yeah, I really, I actually really want to go pick up that book now. Yeah, same, um, actually. <laughs> I I only have one more question. And this is probably the easiest question I'm going to ask you tonight. How can people find you? Oh, okay, I can do that one. Um, I am Annie Makes Art on uh, TikTok and on YouTube. I'm AK Sieg, which is a little weird. It's my first and middle initial and then my last name. So it's A-K-S-I-E-G on Instagram and Twitch. Although I literally never use Twitch. I do not like going live. It freaks me out. So maybe one day I'll do that again and you can find me there. But I, I exist there. Um, I think that's all my things. My my links all exist on Linktree. So if you find me on like TikTok or on Instagram, there's a Linktree that will show you Etsy and all the things. I'm around. Yep. Awesome. Uh, Annie, this has been a, a, a wonderful conversation. And Thank you so I, much. I, I had a blast. And it was so good getting to talk to you and, know, and get to know you. And I can't wait to kind of like maybe uh, interview you in a year and see how things are going with your uh, YouTube because I, I feel like you have a lot of amazing things to put out to the community. And you're doing, you're such a positive and upbeat person. And just thank you so much for coming on and, and talking with us this evening. And uh, everybody listening, go find Annie Makes Art. I'm going to leave you with the Paint the Fucking World. And stay rebellious, guys.